Hey, welcome. Jizzy Pearl is back today for round two. He's got a new book coming out called All the Devils, which we're going to discuss in detail in this episode. And we're going to talk about life in a rock band, doing interviews, the return of Rudy Sarzo and Quiet Riot, and much, much more. Don't touch that dial. Yeah, let's go. Welcome, Jizzy Pearl, to the show. How you doing, Jizzy? Good. How are you, Chuck? I'm great. I'm uh, really excited to use it. Hopefully, like I said, we're not going to have any technical difficulties with this one. It's been a process, but uh, I think it's going to be for the best and should help this episode and get more clicks for you. We're all about the clicks, as you know. Right? (laughs) So I read your book, your new book. uh, It's called All the Devils. Right? I got the title right, I hope. Yes. 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 So my favorite chapter by far, not even close, was who's up for an interview? Because, hey, that's what I do. I interview people. So I'm like, oh, he's like peeling back the curtain and I get to see like what these people are really thinking. (laughs) And that so to me, that was just so fascinating. Yeah, well, you know, because it's a big part of when you first start, you know what I mean? When you first get the record deal and they put you out on the road it's like an assembly line. You go from city to city to city to radio station, to radio station, you know what I mean? And um, it was a new thing for, for me to have to do, to have to be that, you know, guy getting up every morning and telling people all about myself, you know what I mean? And, and um, so, yeah, I, I suppose it is a little bit interesting for someone that because because basically that's what we all had to do what is what I did right and I think people don't realize how many interviews like I forget that too because I remember I had I've had Donnie V on the show three times and the third time I, I said something and like and I, I realized he he did not remember me at all like and I was like oh and you said there was like people that would get mad at you for not remembering them but it, I, I don't think we realize how many interviews you guys do it's not just and even today because it's not just podcasts it's podcasts it's print it's radio there's just way more avenues well the guys that would get mad at me were the guys that thought that they were the little kings of their kingdom you know what i mean mm-hmm. i'm the biggest uh dj in omaha nebraska you know what i mean so when you come to omaha everyone had to go kiss the ring and um, and when I didn't know his radio moniker, you know what I mean, they would get pissed. And I was just trying to explain to the guy, you, I do hundreds of these, hundreds. And especially when you're on a long tour, like my first tour of Blackout in the Red Room, we were out on the road for 10 months straight. I mean, I forgot where I lived, you know, <laughs> because I'd been gone for so long. And so you just, it's a, you're in that surreal bubble of the bus and the hotel and the gig and um, yeah. And you're just rolling with it. And so anyway, yeah, that guy got a little mad at me, but you know, oh, wait, were you guys going to fight though? Is that, or is that a little exaggerated? Uh, I would have beat him up. <laughs> but like, he was really that mad that he wanted to almost like fight you. Well, like just because, because he, was, he was, a sh- he was shamed in front of his sycophants. You know what I mean? He had a bunch yeah. of little groupies around him and um, and I didn't know who he was or I'd forgotten who he was. You yeah. know what I mean? Or, or right. 
you know, whatever. Or and and so he kind of thought that he would shame me, and so I had to, you know, shame him and keep, 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 keep you know what I mean? We right. had to we had to do the testosterone thing. Mm-hmm. So there's that end of the spectrum where you have someone who's interview who thinks they're the shit, and then you have it sounds like you have a lot of these people. You said that. Um, you know, they're, they're trying, they're interviewing you just to get free tickets backstage or whatever, like people. Well, not that, was, that was real. That was real. Yeah. That whole thing about when I was opening up for ACDC, we would pull into town, say Sacramento and, uh, the tour manager would go, okay, you've got three or four interviews today, blah, blah, blah. And some of them would be legitimate radio stations or whatever, but some of them would just be guys that want to get into ACDC for free. And so they would go through this charade of interviewing me. They couldn't care less. They just wanted their free ticket. And you could kind of spot them, you know, cause they didn't have their shit together. And, uh, and I just went with it. I mean, you know, because I just, at that point I was just enjoying being on the road and, uh, and I was getting used to the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs and the, you know, yeah, but so did they actually, were they totally frauds? Like they didn't even have a website or a newspaper or did they just, they just kind of half-assed it for their like community college newspapers? Kind of the latter. Okay. Um, you know, I work for blah, blah. It's like today, everybody's got podcasts and there's different degrees of um, podcasters. You know what I mean? And I would mm-hmm. lump you in with the guys that know what they're talking about, know what they're doing, and 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 we can have a good informed chat. And then there's the other ninety five percent of the Wayne's World level <laughs> guys that are just doing it for fun and and because they get to interview rockers and and it, and it's just you know, for example, my my new record's coming out in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to have to do a bunch of these kind of interviews and I'm going to have to, you know, just tell everybody the love hate story all over again. And, you know, same old, same old. Well, yeah. Cause I, I had that uh, discussion with a friend of mine. I told him I was having you on and I was like a fellow podcaster and I was like, yeah, you know, I, I got to read his book. And he's like, why do you read the book of the, I'm like, well, isn't that the point of the interview to read the book and then discuss some of the things that are in it? I don't want to obviously spoil it, but I mean, if we talk about, if you bring something up and then, I don't know what you're talking about because I haven't read the book. It seems like it makes me look stupid. Well, I, I you know, I, I just think it's a respect thing. You know, um, this is my fourth book. And, you know, I'm a real writer, regardless of what you think about, you know, 80s rockers or hair metal or whatever you want to think. You know what I mean? And 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 I and it's a real piece of work and it's almost 300 pages and and I dig it. And I think that people that are readers would appreciate it. You know what I mean? It's It's got mm-hmm. all the different aspects of, it's got your Sunset Strip, it's got your graphic, it's got your stuff that, like the dirt, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The Tommyland mm-hmm. shit. But it's also got some original fiction. So it's it's kind of a mixed bag. And um you know, I think, I think people should check it out and uh, they, they might dig it. Yeah, no, for sure. Cause it's like, it's kind of like a mixed uh, thing of chocolate. Like you never know what flavor each chapter it's totally random. And then sometimes like I have to read it and go, wait, is this, 
Uh, it like, takes me a minute to realize, is this fiction or nonfiction? And usually you can figure it out at some point. Depends, but. depends on, on, on uh, like a, if you're talking about some of the drug taking experiences and stuff mm-hmm. like that, that's real. But it was, you know what I mean? It, it Here I am, you know, a grown man. But when I was 16 or 17, I don't know about you, but back then we all sort of experimented with drugs and hallucinogenics and stuff. We were all looking for the answer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, some of those trips were terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I, I never liked that kind of stuff. That was not really my cup of tea. I mean, I, I smoked pot and... I think I tried acid once and uh, I was like, this is not like my friends would do it every day and they'd go to school on acid. I was like, I don't know how you guys are making it through the day on acid. It's bizarre. You know, it's funny because the stuff that you would do as a kid, it's because you think you're bulletproof. You know what I mean? Like the story about the Jimson weed that I wrote about um, yeah. when I went when I went blind. Was that true? Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. Well, just something that commonly happens, you know, stupid kid stuff. Yeah. Basically the, the, the premise of the story is that when I was a kid in my neighborhood, there was no weed for some reason, the neighborhood was dry and you couldn't get weed. And so me, Mr. Genius, you know, thinking, Hey, there's this stuff that grows on the side of the road in California apparently it gets you high and it's free. So let's just try that. And it's called loco weed. The Indians called it loco weed. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. for a good reason. And, uh, so we, yeah, we, we went and tried some of it and, uh, yeah, the hilarity ensued after that. So it just, obviously the, you didn't go blind permanently. So did it just wear off or did you have to, you didn't go to the hospital or anything like, well, you don't go to the hospital when you're a kid. You don't go to, you know what I mean? If, I'd if, be pretty if, if, you're, a kid, if you're a kid and your arm gets cut off in a boating accident, you just say, screw it. You know what I mean? I'll just, it'll, I'll just grow back. <laughs> uh, thank God it, it came back. And then didn't you do peyote too? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, that sounds scary. Of, I mean, look, mushrooms, peyote, acid, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we all, in California and in, in LA where I lived, everybody did everything, you know what I mean? And, uh, and yeah, peyote was a whole different thing. And I talk about that and yeah. um, other stuff, but it's, of course, at the time it's terrifying, but in retrospect, now you can write about it and turn it into a funny story. Right. Yeah. Cause you definitely have a different eye with all that stuff. Like all the shit the you talk about the pranks and stuff you did as a kid, like, shitting in fountains and egging houses. And the, the big one to me was like sugar in the gas tank. I always saw that on TV, but I never knew anybody that actually did that because it really would ruin a car engine, right? Oh, it works. That's it totally, it totally works. Yeah. It's um, that was usually reserved for, for uh, rich kids that, that for some reason pissed you off at the, at lunch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shame in front of a bunch of your friends and stuff like that. So that was, uh, that was usually reserved for, for daddy's Mercedes. That's <laughs> the ultimate revenge. Like that's crazy though. So do you look back on that and you go, those kids, like, do you still say those kids deserved it? Or you go, mm, maybe I should have handled this differently. No, I, 
I look back on the stuff I did when I was a kid and I just can't believe that I survived unscathed. You know what I mean? The stupid mm-hmm. shit everybody, every kid does. I mean, remember, right. stre- remember streaking or is that before your time? Yeah, no, we never did that. That's crazy. Well, I heard about that. Yeah, we did that. A, a friend of mine thought that he was going to be a really cool and he decided he was going to streak our lunch at, at our school and he came in riding a motorcycle naked with a big long scarf and he was just going to, you know, blow everyone's mind. And the scarf got stuck in the fucking chains of, of the motorcycle. Oh, shit. Yeah. So that was not a that was not a good day. For yeah, him. you can't you can't some of the shit you can't do like if because I think back in the day they look at streaking, they kind of laugh. Oh, OK, it's silly kids. But now I think you'd be like labeled a a sex offender and you have to register well, as a sex yeah. offender. I mean, if I hung on the Hollywood sign today, I'd probably be tased. You know, I mean, people don't have, it's just a different time. You know what I'm saying? People are way yeah. more woke and people are way more triggered about stuff. You know, my books, my earlier books were a little bit more shocking and um, I don't know. It's just, it was just the time. You know, Mm -hmm. here I am. I got my new book and, you know, I'm a little bit mellower, married, you know, happy, doing good. So the stories probably reflect some of that. It's it's the humor is different. It's not quite so, you know, like with the machetes. Yeah, it's kind of it's all over the place. There's a lot of like kind of like almost I'd say like cute humor, like a lot of fart stuff and and stuff like that. There's always going to be fart stuff, of course. Fart and shit humor never gets old. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So, and of course, you talk about the Sunset Strip and was the so again we we go back with some of its fiction, some of it's not. With this uh, the the songwriting team of Stevens and Lear. Is that that's not a real team, or is that based on a, a real team, or is that totally fiction? That's um, it's not real. I just made it up, but the but I didn't make up the people that actually did that kind of stuff. Basically, that that story is about guys who every time a new musical trend would hit L.A., they would ditch their clothes and their music and rewrite their music and adopt the costume of whatever the new trend would be. So first, if you were a poison kind of copy band with the spandex and the the hair and the makeup and stuff, then when Guns N' Roses got big, you would get the tattoos and the cowboy boots and the, you know what I mean? And Uh then when grunge hit, you would throw away the cowboy boots and you get the band, you get the red flannel shirts. Those people really did exist. And they never understood why they couldn't get a record deal. You know what I mean? They couldn't understand it because in their mind, they're thinking, well, we're as good as Pearl Jam. We look just like them. We sound just like them. You know, but but it, there's something phony baloney about it, you know, and uh, and they never really they never really like I said, people like that never really made it. Yeah, you mentioned they, uh, they had no integrity at the end of the day. I mean, you are what you are, you know. Right. So, like, you talk about a band called White Sister that became Tattoo Rodeo. 
and they'd like put out this big ad in there and stuff. So why do you think, so is that why some of those bands never evolved past being a sunset strip band is because they just tried to catch the trends. I remember white sister. Yeah. When I used to to go to the Troubadour, when I was a kid, I used to see whites because they were huge Mm -hmm. and they would sell out the Troubadour and um, the singer was really cute, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, so all the chicks dug them. And, uh, and then they got signed as Tattoo Rodeo. And uh, as, as to why they never broke big, who knows? You know, it's not, why does a certain song, like, like Guns N' Roses came out and it took them a year to break. They almost didn't break, you know? It almost took them, it took them a year and then Sweet Child of Mine broke them and then they exploded. What, what's the X factor? Why do some bands go 15 times platinum and some bands don't, you know, who knows? Who knows? You don't have any theories on that? Well, if you sell your soul to the devil, I know it helps, but (laughs) um, we never did that, you know, but but I don't know. My theory is that, is that um, the rock gods, will will give and take you know what i mean like they gave us our big record deal on columbia and they put us on the road for years and we got to open for ozzy and dio and you know acdc and and made great records did great music and then at a certain point in time that was it for us you know what i mean for my love hate band and then everybody moved on, and then I moved on to LA Guns and Rat, and eventually Quiet Riot and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, uh, there is no magical theory. Why did Come On, Feel the Noise become so huge? Who knows? It's a good song, but that was ju- it. Was just it was magic. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's sometimes it's hard to figure this stuff out, but other times I mean, you can't see- figure it out. There, you can't figure it out. That's another thing is you can't you can't write for people thinking that this is what they want to hear or this is going to be great on radio or this is going to be the anthem that's going to make your band explode. You know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. it never works out that way. A lot of times bands get huge for because accidents like Mr. Big, that that one song that blew them up and stuff. I. You know, I heard that they didn't even want it on the record and they put it on the record and then it blew them up. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. you never you you can't you can't be a scientist when it comes to music and art and stuff like that, because it's just uh, you never know. That's true. I will say. But I mean, I think there are some factors. Definitely. You got to have talent. You got to have the work ethic. And the other two things I would say is you got to be in the right place at the right time. Like if you're in the eighties, you know, being on the sunset strip definitely helps rather than being in Nebraska and then well, network. You're, you're quoting my book now is what you're doing. <laughs> Am I? But it's, but it's true. No, no, no. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. Had I not lived in Hollywood in LA during that whole guns and roses era, of course it probably would not have happened for us, but we were there. And, you know, they were looking for bands that sounded like or they thought were going to be the next Guns N' Roses. That's how it works. One band gets big and then everybody 
tries to sign what they think is going to be that band to mimic their success. And uh, we were there and we got our record deal out of that. You know, so did Mm -hmm. LA Guns, so did Faster Pussycat, you know. Right. Yeah. So you definitely increase the odds by doing some of those things, but then, yeah, you're right. After, after you get signed and you're, you're making records, then it's like, then it's kind of a crapshoot. If a song takes off or an album takes off, who knows? Like, well, you, you don't know. Like Mike, we, we almost didn't put um, uh, that song spinning wheel on my third record. My bass player didn't want it on the record. Cause he thought it sounded too Alice and Chainsy, the harmonies and stuff, but that's when Alice and Chains were huge. And mm-hmm. so when I wrote that harmony for that song, you know, yeah. it sounded cool because it it's, I don't know, because it did, but he didn't, he didn't want it on the record and we all sort of outvoted him and put it on the record. And that became one of our biggest songs. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, th- th- there's so many stories like that where you hear like they, they didn't want the, like the quiet riot, come on, feel the noise. It was the same thing, right? Wasn't it? Like they didn't, yeah. they covered it as a joke and they tried to do it really bad. And then it became their biggest hit. I mean, there's so yeah. many stories like that. It's the truth. I mean, you can't, I mean, you can, you can, you can try and figure it out, but in this weird world of art, I mean, I mean, look at Van Gogh sold one painting in his life, you know? Is that true? I didn't know that. Yeah. He sold one painting and died penniless and uh look how you turned out yeah i just went to this like van gogh exhibit here and it was really cool it was like this video thing and yeah he's one of my favorite i love that kind of stuff i love looking i don't know i can't like talk art but i can look at it and go that's cool well it is cool stuff i mean yeah most people most musicians don't get to get what i've gotten a they don't ever get the record deal they don't ever get the hammer of the gods that comes with that record deal. You know what I mean? They don't get to be mm-hmm. on a bus. They don't get to open up for their favorite bands. They don't get to meet people that they've loved for years, like Brian May of Queen or Robin Zander or Steven Tyler. You know what I mean? And you get to pal around with these kind of people. And uh, you get to be a musician and not a UPS driver. You know, you get to to do the real, the real fantasy stuff, and then here I am. I'm still doing it 32 years later. That's that's really the more magical. Yeah, I think the hardest thing for me when I when I hear stories like yours, it's so crazy how many comebacks you had. Like that would be the hardest point though, going from love hate and opening for Dio and ACDC, and then you had that kind of break before you was the next one. Rat or LA Guns? I think it was LA Guns, right? So between that time, that that must have been tough, though. You must have had thoughts of giving up or trying something else, or there was always that open window I could have jumped out of. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't, because we would have yeah, missed you. It was it was enticing. Um, yeah, I mean, rags to riches to rags, essentially. And then I tried to get Love Hate back together, I think in 1997 or 1998. I tried to get Love Hate back together and that didn't work out. That exploded. And then uh, I got a call to sing for LA Guns out of the blue. And I immediately was on a bus playing big places again. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, I really got rescued. 
and then rat and then uh you know basically i've i've managed to uh to keep the lights on this whole time and write books and put out records so yeah it's great and is that is that your main thing right now is just music and and books and stuff or do you have other side gigs that you do or anything well, or producing well, bands or? um i i i've got this new youtube channel called j pearl tv that's sort of what i'm sort of it because of the lockdown you know what i mean and i mm-hmm. thought well if you get locked down you want to have a place to go for music and to be able to 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 talk to people you know what i mean and uh so that's kind of what that became and so i got the, that the thing TV, you- and that's kind of youtube and 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 yeah, is that the I thing mean, where you told the stories though? I saw one where you did you told a story of the of the uh, Hollywood cr- uh, sign uh, crucifixion thing. Right. Yeah, my humorous anecdotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that and then is there going to be other stuff though? Music stuff too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, Jizzo's Hollywood stories is basically uh, me talking about this side of the musical thing maybe you know kind of like what my books do my books sort of show you what goes on behind the scenes you know the good bad and the ugly and stuff like that mm-hmm. so these these videos are sort of along the same line you know what i mean but in a in the visual medium yeah so you saw talk about behind the scenes one of your chapters actually i think it's the first chapter was the the g word the groupies so explain to me what that that's always weird for me because i think there's this like glamorized thing of that that people always go oh he's a rock star he he has all these groupies but there's got to be sometimes where that's kind of awkward where it's a girl that you know like i guess that's where the drugs and alcohol come in then that makes it less awkward right well what that story is 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 built around are girls that partied in the 80s and you know were playing it pretty fast and loose Mm -hmm. and uh now, 20 years later, they're trophy wives, you know what I mean? And their husbands don't know about their past, you know what I mean? They just know that these chicks are hot and they right. buy the fake boobs and the fake lips and you know what I mean? The, 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 yeah. the housewives of Beverly Hills sort of look, but these girls have a lurid past when they were, you know, like I said, hanging out with bands and, and doing the dirty. So yeah, the whole premise of the story is uh, one of the girls picks up one of my books and reads and, uh, and, and sort of, I sort of out them as, uh, as being, you know, G words. Right. The, the, the G word. I love that. But yeah, that's an interesting, the whole thing is just such an interesting, cause it was, such an interesting or interesting phenomenon in the eighties was a big thing like groupies. And then I think the nineties, it was like, well, that's not cool to, you know, the groupies and that's not what we do. We're, we're Nirvana or, you know, we're, we're all about the music. And then it kind of comes in waves of, of the groupies being an acceptable thing. Or now I, I don't even know what well, the trend is. Group. Everybody has groupies. Sports stars have groupies. Uh, rodeo stars have groupies. They're called buckle bunnies. Um, <laughs> Didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's gone away at all. I mean, I'm sure a lot of these new bands, I and I couldn't tell you the names of any of these young metal bands, mm-hmm. but I'm sure they've got plenty of women hanging outside their bus wanting to, uh, to uh, you know, 
get down and dirty. But the, I, I can just tell you from, from personal experience that back in the day before the internet and before message boards and, and especially, you know, women message boards, you could get away with murder. I mean, you could get away with, with a lot of crazy shenanigans. And then I watched the internet come and then message boards appeared and all of a sudden guys were getting busted. You know what I mean? Because these, these of the network of these message boards and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I can't speak for everyone else, but but I mean, obviously, I'm married now, and these days, you know, it's like Minority Report. If you even look at a girl, there's some alarm going off in my house. <laughs> but you like that better now? Because I mean, I feel like a lot of people I talk to when I do these interviews, they get they get kind of burned out on that whole lifestyle, the the well, sex, drugs, and the rock and roll stuff. And like, I think you're sober three years now, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you, you must've gotten kind of tired of it as well. And now you're, and you're, like you said, you're married. So. Well, it's just, it's, you reach a certain point where, where you've just, you've had, you've had what you have, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It, it's just, you've, you've done all the, the Caligula shit that you ever would ever need to do in your life and you don't need to be that guy anymore and plus we the way we travel i mean these days and this i speak for a lot of 80s guys you know you get on a plane it's all flyouts there's no more buses you know you get on a plane you fly somewhere you do your gig you got to get up early to go to the next gig and there's no time for nonsense you know what I mean? You're basically trying to get sleep in between the travel and the gigs. So, uh, you know, I mean, there's, like I said, I mean, it's just, it, it would be kind of pathetic. I think these days it would be like me shopping at hot topic at my age would be, just, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a great it's analogy. Absurd. It would be just like bondage pants and, and green hair and shit. You know, it would just be silly. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's, so that's one of the benefits of, of your line of work, but also, um, you, and you mentioned this in the book, a couple, some of the TV people, movie and TV people that you got to meet, it looks, sounds like some of them actually was not from the band. So who did, did you ever meet anybody as a, well, no, I guess the Mr. T was from love hate, but like tattoo from fantasy Island, he just happened to live by you. Right. Well, that story is in my new book and, um, essentially I'll, I'll, I'll tell the, a little bit of the story. My parents used to go to a bar and drink and um, they had a circle of drinking buddies and they would go play softball when I lived in the San Fernando Valley and they would go play softball on Sunday. And it basically was just another excuse to drink. It would be coolers of beer and mm. people trying to catch softballs and laughing and forced errors and strikeouts and, it was just fun stuff. And for some odd reason, uh, they met Hervé Villachase, who was tattoo on Fantasy Island. And my parents struck up this friendship with tattoo. And I mean, as surreal and weird as that sounds, 
And, uh, and I didn't know about it. Of course, you know, I just, I would go to my mom's, I would go to my parents' house because they would have these pay-per-view boxing events, you know, Mike Tyson for $39 and, and there would be, you know, 30, 40 people. The whole bar would go to my parents' house because they had one of those big screen TVs and, and we would all watch Mike Tyson beat the shit out of somebody, you know, in in 45 seconds. And, uh, so yeah, I, I went to my parents' party and, uh, met, tattoo at this party and and hilarity ensues from there but did you ever meet any other movie and tv stars or like do you ever go to the playboy mansion or anything like that i i dated a playboy playmate at one time uh but i never did get to go to the grotto as it were i was supposed i was gonna go but i never did okay um, and then you guys had, uh, speaking of movies and TV though, you mentioned the book that, you know, that song you guys had in the nightmare in Elm street part four that you only got, is this true? You only got $200 for that. You don't get any royalties, $200 each, but still like, is, don't you get a royalty from it too, though? Even it's like probably not very much, but, um, at the time, this is before we got our record deal. And, um, that if, me getting in that movie was a big deal and me mm-hmm. getting $200 was like winning the lottery, <laughs> you know, cause I was poor. I mean, I, I had yeah. no money. I had no car and we were just, uh, it was, it's always the, what they say darkest before the dawn. And it's really the truth. I mean, we were before we eventually got the record deal, we were desperate. I mean, we were just, I was out of control. I was just, Cause everyone else were getting record deals, you know, and, and, and you start to really question what's going on, you know, what, you know, what's right and what's wrong and stuff, because I always thought we were really good, you know, and, uh, and then, yeah, we got the record deal, but, but, but the whole nightmare on Elm street, we were working with some guy that worked at new line cinema and we were also in this movie, one of those Critters movies. You remember Critters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With those little balls that would attack yeah. people. I always we confuse that, that one with movies. We were in, yeah, Critters too. For okay. some of our music was in that soundtrack, and I remember going to the premiere of Critters too, and it was, yeah. But at the time, Are you a movie fan? Yeah, I am. But but you know, at the time you would have thought that, that I was in apocalypse now. Such was my <laughs> pride. I can't believe I'm in this movie. It's called Critters, you know, which is it's like, pretty cool. well, I would have rather been in Phantasm to be quite honest. I mean, that remember Phantasm? Which one is that? Why am I? The one with the tall guy and the ball that flew around and, and, and it's an eighties movie. Google it, dude. Come on. Oh, I'm gonna have to watch that then. I, I yeah, that's I'm drawing a blank on on that one great, for some reason. It's a great movie. Have you seen it's, any recent good horror movies lately? Uh, you know, I like the Insidious ones. Yeah, I like those, and and the Conjuring ones. I like those. Um, you know, I I I I, uh, I like Dune. I thought that was good. That's not really a horror movie, but but yeah. Um, you know, we uh, I just watched Succession on HBO and, and Yellowstone is great. And now I'm watching 1883. That's great. What's that one? 1883. I haven't heard of that. It's a prequel to Yellowstone. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I need to finish Yellow. We're like only a few episodes in. But uh, yeah, it's, it's good. It's a good show. But And then you mentioned Tarantino. There's a chapter about him. So are you a big Tarantino fan? Because I'm a huge fan. Who's your, what's your favorite Tarantino movie? Uh, I like Pulp Fiction, but I like uh, Inglorious Bastards. I think that's Ooh. my favorite. It's so that well is a great one. Yeah. That guy is so amazing. That's like I the story I wrote based on that Tarantino movie. Uh, which is I is really an original story if if you I won't give it away, but but yeah. it's uh it's a it's killer because it because everybody knows pulp fiction. I mean everybody's watched right. it so many times that they know they'll know what I'm talking about when I'm when I reference the movie. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great one. I love to, it's sad that he's, I guess, retired. I, I, I just don't buy that, that he, I don't understand that if like I, for you with music, it'd be like you saying just like, well, I'm just not going to make any music anymore. I'm never going to sing again. I mean, isn't that, that's your life. Like that's what you would, even if you had to get a different job, you'd still do music on the side. Cause you love it. Right. I, I would, I would, you know, but the older us people, us guys get, the harder it is to keep, you know, that standard of excellence, mm-hmm. you know, being a songwriter, it's, it's easy for me to still do, you know what I mean? Because I still have that, that bullshit meter in my head of this is a good song and, and this isn't good enough to make the cut and stuff like that, you know? So I'm good that way, but there's other guys that, that are getting older now that can't really do it anymore. And I don't want to mention their names because they're idols of mine, you know, but they're just, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they're in their seventies and they, they just can't, they can't, they're not the same physically able to do what, what they, but they still do it. And everybody, everybody, uh, you know, still goes and appreciates it. And they all, you know, sort of understand that, that they're seeing a legend and, uh, you know, they're getting what they're getting. See, I always thought like when you get old, like older like that, maybe you're not as good at your craft. Couldn't you help somebody else who, who's up and coming and like mentor them or work together with them, like produce or something. I always thought like that would be a better role. But like if Tarantino doesn't want to write any more screenplays or make any more movies. Okay, fine. But could, maybe he could produce some stuff and, and help uh, an, an up and coming pr- director and writer. He could. Or maybe he could just say, you know, screw them, and I want to go live in my mansion cold and uh, enjoy the rest of my life. I mean, he's he's worked his ass off. Anybody that's yeah. really successful in 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 this business, you know, works their ass off. I mean, you don't see the work ethic. You only see the bad YouTubes of people that don't have their shit together. You know what I mean? <laughs> like guys like me. You're not seeing the three miles I ran this morning. You're not seeing the rehearsal that I do, you know, and that's what it takes because people these days, you know, want excellence. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. don't, they don't suffer fools. And, uh, and I have a very strong work ethic as far as giving people, you know, what, what they expect, you know, when, like, for example, um, QR, you know, those vocals are hard, you know, they're not easy. And so yeah. we got to, you know, you got to bust ass to, uh, 
to, to stay, especially when you're doing two or three or four gigs in a row. And you know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta really keep it together. And people are going to see Rudy Sarzo now, you know, cause he's back in the band and, and uh, they're going to get to see Rudy Sarzo because he looks the same as he did back in the eighties. You know, he's like this magical being that hasn't aged one bit. I mean, people are going to, they're going to get to see Rudy doing what Rudy does. You know what I mean? If mm-hmm. you've got it in your head, you've seen those videos and you dug those videos, you're going to see, you're going to get to see that guy, you know, cause he kicks ass and he, like I said, he's ageless. Yeah, no, he's great. And everyone loves him. He has such a good reputation. I think that's why he keeps getting these great gigs. He's, he is, he's a really nice guy. He's, he's, uh, He's got a very, he's very Zen, you know what I mean? When you're around him, you know what I mean? Like if you're in a band with somebody when you're young and everybody's yelling and fighting and screaming, you know, you put up with it because you're young and, and you've got that youthful energy and stuff. But when you're older, you just don't want to put up with assholes, you know? Right. You just don't, you know, you, you want, you want some peace. You know what I mean? You want to play with people that are fun and that you like and that you want to play with, you know what I mean? And that's one of the, Oh, everyone always says, well, why can't those original guys get back together, man? Well, because they don't like each other. <laughs> that's why. Is that why um, what the original guitarist, Carl Carlos, is that his name of mm-hmm. quite right? He's never been mentioned as being brought back into the fold. I, you know, I don't think that he, wants to to do the travel and the gigging you know what i mean he's got his lifestyle and and obviously he's got money and uh, i think he just wants to do what he wants to do he wants to work on his cars he wants to have a good life and you know it's like i said i mean it's not the easiest it's compared to being a plumber our job is really easy but the travel and, and going from airport to airport and rushing around and, and, you know, it it can get tiring at times, but it's also a lot of fun, but you know, I, maybe he just doesn't want to get his feet wet like he did before. Yeah, no, for sure. I would think the traveling would be really stressful, even though, like you said, you're doing the fly-in gig. So you're not on a tour bus. That, that sounds way worse to be stuck on a bus. And I don't know how you guys would kill each other. Being it's on better? a tour bus is better. You oh, don't yeah. get sick of each other, though? Well, of course you get sick of each other. Yeah, because did, did we? was it you that I had this discussion with where you said, like, I think I thought it was you that said, like, somebody could brush their teeth the wrong way on a tour bus and it could annoy you. The thing about a tour bus that's great is that um, you can go to bed and wake up in the next city. And some people can't sleep in the bunks because they're kind of coffin-like. But yeah. it's really easy for me. I could just open up a book, put my earplug in, close the curtain, bazunk. You know, it's like an alien when they're sleeping for 50 years mm-hmm. and then they open up that thing. And yeah, and I love it. I love it. You wake up in the morning, the bus is rolling, you get your cup of coffee, you're watching the the landscape go by. It's it's really awesome. You know what I mean? But yeah, so you don't do I any, know. you're not going to do any tour, but like you wouldn't read a bus for like a two week run or something like that. Or it's just kind of not the way that guys like us do it anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? 
it's yeah. just more feasible to do it with flying out. You know, buses are are really they're expensive, and um, I mean the big bands do it. Obviously, the Rolling Stones sure. have twenty buses, you know, because they're the Rolling Stones. But uh, for guys like us, the the Quiet Riot, the Warrant. Skid Row, Night Ranger, it's 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 all flyouts for the most part. This is a weird question. How do you how do you fly out with the drums though? Isn't that hard to 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 it's, you, you, how do you, you do all the, part of the um part of the money that's paid for bands goes to backline? You know what I mean? So you show up at wherever you're playing, a club or an arena, and there's backline there. And uh, so, yeah, you don't have to, uh, you know, amps also. I mean, we don't bring our own amps. We just bring guitars. So they bring they bring the drums. Yeah. So it's not the drummer's drum kit. No. Okay. They at least get the drum head, though, or, or they have a decal or something they can put on well, the, the drum. Well, you can put a decal on the drum. That sort of gives everyone the illusion that it is your drum kit. But it wouldn't make – to bring your own drums, obviously, would make sense if you're flying. You know, I would just think that as a drummer, you're very, you it's, I mean, drums are such a complicated instrument with like, you want certain things to, I mean, it's gotta be hard to get used to someone else's kit, isn't it? Well, you, you just, you, you take the time. Like I was, you know, Johnny Kelly is our drummer in quiet, right? Yeah. And he fixes the drums. He makes them, uh, he adjusts everything and tightens everything down and makes it, uh, you know, something playable for him that's that's uh sort of makes it his kit hmm. yeah yeah i guess it, as long as they don't complain i guess that's pr- i mean like you oh, said it's gonna play oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great well i gotta ask you too about you you bring up social media a lot i noticed that's in the book there's a, that's a definitely a theme and uh like the snapchat filters you mentioned you make fun of that and uh like the bunny ears and stuff i don't know if that's still as big of a thing i know a few years ago though all my friends were on the dating apps did you ever go on the dating apps because they said every picture on the dating apps was a girl with bunny ears or dog ears i never had to go on the dating apps because i was married you know what I mean? how long have you been married uh, seven years Okay, yeah. So it better be right because my wife will kill me. <laughs> I believe it's so you missed years. out on the dating app thing because that's like a big thing. That's how it seems to be how everybody meets now. You know, maybe so. But one of my stories in this new book is about the beauty apps. That that whole yeah thing about when women take those filters and and it, you know what I mean. It turns mm-hmm. their face into uh, like a lacquered punch bowl. It's it's got no definition whatsoever, and they're just kind of it's kind of instant Botox. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's weird how, where our society is headed with that. And then you have a story about this guy. You know, it's 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 it affects guys too because this guy gets obsessed with this YouTube girl, and it's like we're so disconnected. And now I, I don't know if you're familiar with the whole metaverse thing that's coming around. They're talking about like it's going to be virtual reality. And I just feel like we're getting more and more disconnected in some ways. In other ways, it's cool because we can do, you know, a podcast like this without being in the same room. But it is kind of concerning, right? Um, if you're interested, go rent this movie or go watch this movie called Surrogates with uh, Bruce Willis. Yes. I was just going to mention that. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that's, where I feel like we're that's headed. That's where we are headed, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. 
It's like the, I was I mentioned that on another episode where yeah, Bruce Willis, everyone's like, you know, they're ugly and they're fat and they're out of shape, but then they have this surrogate that's really handsome or good looking and goes out into the world and does their job and they're just sitting at a computer the whole mo- it's crazy. And I feel like that's that might be think, Yeah, that's what I think where we're going because um it just seems like everybody's the lock what with the lockdown and stuff like that, I think I think it it reinforced some bad behavior in people. You know what I mean? It gets harder to want to be healthy. It gets, you know what I mean? Cause you're just thinking, well, screw it. I mean, no one's going to see me anyway. Who cares? And blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. You know, people don't, I mean, I'm just as guilty. I mean, I'm, you know, I, 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 I do a lot of dumb things on social media, just like everyone else. But, but, uh, but I come from a, a different time where, like, for example, kids growing up these days, the ones that are just, you know, addicted to their phones and they can't get off their phones and they, you know, it's, it's fucking with their, um, with their social interactions and they're not, they, they don't know how to have relationships now. You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. they, because they, they've got the phone and the phone is instant gratification and it's, uh, I don't know, I, I, I shudder to think what what kids are going to be like, you know, in 10 years. I mean, true weirdos. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely lacking some of those social skills. And then with the pandemic, like like you said, everything's lo- there was a lot of schools locked down where kids did not have any face-to-face contact with other kids. Yeah. And then they, you know, if they've got the masks on, they're not being able to read people's emotions. That, yeah, and- that's a whole other thing, that the, the thing with the mask. It, because when we wear masks, like if I'm at the airport, everyone's wearing masks or something like that. I don't, I don't, I think of it different, but if a child is wearing a mask eight hours a day for a long time, it, it, it's probably doing a, a, a thing to their head. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, it's a bummer. It's, it's the, the whole thing has been a total bummer. And, and now, you know, we're opening up and, and touring and, 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 and stuff like that. So I just, you know, I, I have hope that, that people will, will still go to concerts and, and still go see live music and, and, you know, embrace the stuff that they used to dig and not just sit and watch Netflix, you know, and eat, and eat Cheetos all day. Yeah. Well, I, I love both. I love concerts and I love those Netflix too, and but you love uh, Cheetos. Yeah, you know my grandpa loved Cheetos. I haven't had a Cheeto in a long time. I remember remember the cheese balls, like the real the planters ones. Those were oh, so good. No, Cheetos, got a, Cheetos is stoner food. That's yeah. Cheetos, <laughs> yeah. Cheetos is like, like a large Dr Pepper and a bag of Cheetos, and you would just be, you know. <laughs> What's your guilty pleasure now for food? God, I, you know, uh, just normal shit, cookies or, or, you know, wheat thins or, you know, I mean, weird stuff like that. But I, I try and, I try and stay healthy. We're, we're, we're about to embark on this 2022 tour and there's a lot of shows. I mean, a lot of shows. So I have to, uh, get myself ready for, uh, for the travel and the, and the, you know, the, 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 the gigging 
Yeah, you got to be in shape. And then, like you said, your voice, you got to re- uh, practice with that and rehearse. And so you said it's harder. The more days you do, the harder it gets. So is that why some no, of bands... For me, actually, it's the reverse. The more days really? I do, the easier it gets. I don't okay. Know it's weird. But I'm one of those guys that can sing three, four, five, six days in a row. And I actually sound just as good, if not better. Yeah, because I noticed like with the Motley Crue Stadium Tour, they only, I don't think they do more than three days in a row. And then there was like, there's a news article that came out just a couple of days ago, how they were concerned that the, count, uh, the tour might be canceled again because Vince Neil scheduled like a solo date in between the shows. So it's a little concerning. Yeah, you know, I won't, I, yeah, the thing about that stadium tour is that, and I, I, I shouldn't go into it, but... Um, yes, you should. You should. <laughs> no, because just it's... I, just, I feel bad for the fans who spent all that money because that's they spent all that money on the meet and greets too. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. a lot of money. I mean, they... Mm-hmm. To, you know, what was it? Like a thousand bucks to meet Motley Crue or a thousand bucks to meet Def Leppard. I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying Probably, I feel like bad for the fans that put all that money out and have to wait. It sucks. You know, that it just sucks for them. You know, the band guys, you know, it's different, but, but that's, that's real money that those, you know, people put out. Yeah. I forget. Could you get your money back? Cause I didn't even try. I was like, well, I'll just hang on to the tickets. Cause they'll, they'll, they'll still be good when they come next year. And then it's now it's two years later. Yeah, they they're they're gonna probably hold on to that money. But do you think that that'll happen this year? I don't know. Uh, would you go? Would you see that show? Uh, no. <laughs> not not well. Not nothing against them. I'm just not a spectator. I don't. My, oh. my my wife's favorite band is Night Ranger, and I know all those guys. But it's hard for me to sit and watch a, a Night Ranger show. But I love those guys. But it's just hard for me to actually sit and watch a show for an hour and a half. You know what I mean? I just because it's what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like guys that work in bars don't really want to go to a bar on their day off. They want to. Gotcha. You know what I mean? So no, I, that makes know, sense. I'm not a. I'm, I don't like watching. Get you know. But when I was a kid, it was different. You know, like I would right. Queen. Or uh, or uh, ACDC or you know White Snake or something like that. I I mean I was a big concert goer. So now it's just not. Yeah, that makes sense though. I I, I noticed that too as I'm getting older. I'm, the concerts. Well, you know, for me, I think I like the club shows or the smaller shows. The bigger shows like the stadium tour. I mean, I don't. I can't do a lot of those every year. It's it's a it's a big ordeal to be there. I wouldn't want to be up in the bleachers at a stadium show. I just, I, I'm just, it's just not something that I would want to do. You know what I mean? Even, I mean, going to a, it'd be like going to a baseball game, kind of, you know what I mean? You yeah. you see them down there, you know, they, they're this tall and uh, it's just, you know, not something I want to do. Yeah. For baseball, I feel like every time I go to a baseball game, it's more like a social thing. Like I'm just talking to the people and, oh yeah, there's well, a baseball going game. to drink beer and eat hot dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to have talk, bullshit, and all that stuff. So, 
Cool. Well, this has been fun. Uh, again, it's a great book. It's called All the Devils. I read the whole thing, and uh, there's we I, hopefully we didn't do any spoilers. There's still a lot of stuff we didn't talk about that's in the book that people should check it out. Well, yeah, some of the stories are sunset strip related. Um, you'll get that. You'll if you know if you're a fan of the dirt or Tommy Land, you'll get that Hollywood sunset strip thing. And some of the stories, like a friend of mine just read the book and he, he likes the horror stories. He likes the, um, yeah, the, the graphic kind of Stephen King type stuff. And there's some of that in there. And there, there's some, um, reminiscences of, of when I was a kid growing up in the Valley and, and funny stories of youth and, uh, partying and, you know, and anybody growing up, we'll probably identify with those. So, I mean, it's kind of a mixed bag. Yep. Cool. I'll put the link in the show notes. And then also, I think the last, last time you were on, you promoted the Salvation Army as a charity. So if people have a few extra bucks, they can throw it that way. And uh, anything else you want to promote? A Quiet Riot, of course, going to be on tour. Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, jizzypearl.net is where I sell the book. And uh, J Pearl TV, that's my YouTube channel. If you guys want to, uh, see me act out because uh and and all i have all that love hate music too on my my uh youtube site because people have been bitching about my spotify you know stuff why don't you put stuff because spotify is kind of a a whole different animal so i Mm -hmm. just put it all up on my youtube channel so people want to listen to all my love hate records and my solo records and stuff like that you know they can listen to them there Thank you to Jizzy once again. The book is called All the Devils. And uh, Jizzy also has a new solo record coming out soon on Golden Robot Records. So look for that. Quiet Riot is going to be hitting the road. So check the website for tour dates. And if you enjoyed this episode, you can check out the other interview I did with Jizzy. It's episode number 161. Or check out some of my other interviews. I have over 200 episodes of the show. And if you like the show, make sure to subscribe and follow the show on social media to keep up with future episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon.